0: Small Business and Startup Stories DSM features conversations with small business owners who share both their victories and failures on their paths to success. Small Business and Startup Stories DSM is produced by the Greater DeMine Partnership. More tips and resources are available at dsmpartnership.com small business I'm your host, Mike Caldwell. You're also welcome to Startup Stories. Was Scoreyard your first startup, and what problem did Scoreyard work to solve?
1: Uh, technically speaking, Scoreyard wasn't the first startup, uh, but it was the first one that I got other people involved with. So there was a very brief, we'll call it a hobby project, if you will, where I was working with golf courses and managing tournaments. Was the idea? Oh. I had a golf course here in town, uh, Toad Valley, out uh, east of town, and. And I worked with them briefly to put together some software, tried to turn it into into something that was bigger than that, and uh, learned a lot of lessons about marketing and sales and, and that sort of thing, doing that, and, and uh, dedication to a startup. So that was kind of the first thing. But yeah, ScoreYard was, um, I'd call it a serious-ish uh, startup. Uh, again, I was still working for... You know, full-time job, this was a side thing. The The problem that I was trying to solve is my, my oldest son uh, was in multiple sports at the time, and he is in the ADM school district west of, of town. Uh, and going to those events could be a half hour 45 minute drive and we'd find ourselves showing up for these events uh, to find out they're canceled because of weather or you know whatever it was or you know some kid needed a piece of equipment which we had at home we could have brought with us if there was communication so that's kind of where the idea started uh, was in managing uh, leagues uh, student leagues and uh, communication and it grew into Tracking of of uh, stats and that sort of thing, and and uh, worked with a couple other people, got them involved with the business. Actually formed it as an LLC. I think that was probably one of my first LLCs. Did the legal thing exactly. You know, so that's why I say it's the first semi serious. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a great experience. It also really kind of hit home that that message for me that developers should not be the ones to build a business on their own. Um, there's many other roles and responsibilities in creating a successful company.
0: Don't you think there's really? That's true of anybody. Shouldn't be doing a startup on their 100%, own. One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. It's so hard to do your own. I,
1: I feel like developers, to a certain extent, are a little cocky, and I can build that. I can build that, and, uh, and even, you're right. You know, and, and you're right. You can build it, but can you sell it? You know, just because you build it does not mean they're going to come.
0: That is a hard lesson to learn. I was having to have that literally this morning a conversation with someone. My father had the same. I grew up in the car business, and he said, "Sell what you can see, don't see what you can sell." And where that came from was I could I would go out and wait on a customer, and I said, "Well, if only that car was blue. If it only had a bucket seat instead of a bench seat." And he finally said, "Look, all of our money's out there. I don't have any other cars to sell. You have to sell the ones we have, not something we don't have." And with developers, it's too easy in software to add things. Right. I mean it's hard but it's too easy because right. you can just say yes, go bust your butt for 30 days and build it, right. release it but you've got to sell what you
1: have. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. So what happened to Scoreyard?
1: So we, kind of some history of Des Moines and the startup scene. Like this was back in the, in the early days of the, of the startup scene here in Des Moines. So uh, I was working out of, uh, well Technically, initially, we were working out of Old Chicago, so a business partner and I, we kind of came together on this. I I think we might have met at a startup weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that might not be completely accurate, it was many years ago, but either way, uh, Old Chicago, we were meeting like a couple nights a week at an Old Chicago and kind of working through things. And then we uh, foundry, co-working, yeah. uh, way back when, sure, uh, it's I remember where we were, we were based out of. It's where I first met. Uh, uh, ben Milne in um, yep. the early days of Dwallet to give you some context for for the city histories uh, yeah. scene. But, That's uh, when I
0: was working with Ben. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I think yeah, that was. I mean, I think that was pre-funding a whole. I mean, everything it was for nine or '10. Right. Yeah. But anyway, so we're working out of there, and and uh, it became a little bit more serious. It, it turned into most evenings we're working and and trying to build out and built out a platform and started to. Uh, communicate with different leagues that were out there. And um, the thing that we came to very quickly was it's hard to sell a platform to a volunteer organization. Most of these leagues that we're talking to are parents that are volunteering to organize and whatnot. And Making money decisions is a tough decision, even though there's significant revenue going through these organizations with the f- dues and fees and everything else, and you know multiple, right. uh, you know, uh, um, fields that are being uh, rented out and, and whatnot. Uh, to make a decision to spend money on software at the time was difficult.
0: Yeah, and a lot of those people, that the group that's in charge of it changes frequently, yep. so long-term decisions are hard to take.
1: Right, and and this was. And there was cost involved with this. We were doing payment processing. It was one of the first times I was doing payment processing, and uh, in addition to the data that was being collected and, and trying to build a long-term profile, uh, the other thing that we we found ourselves in the situation of we were certainly not the first to market with this platform. Right. Um, there were other companies that were ahead of us and had investment, had dedicated people building out these platforms, and they're still around today. to, to give a Kind of. It's
0: interesting how many people start a company and then figure out there are mm-hmm. other companies there. Right, and it's something I challenge people to do all the time because it's absolutely you get on AngelList or Crunchbase or even just on a web search, and I can usually find many people doing something similar. Right,
1: right. We, I mean, even with the business that we have today, we get clients coming into us on a regular basis, and and we still have that, and they're looking to you know hire a consultant to build a platform for them. But yeah, so that was kind of the end of of Scoreyard and. And what happened there? We decided it wasn't for us. We weren't putting the right time and resources into it, um, and uh, kind of went took a step back from that. And and uh, I forget who I was working with at the time. I believe it was a contract gig of some sort, and, mm-hmm. and uh, that kind of led into the next thing, though. Uh, Goodsmiths.
0: Yeah, because that's when I met you.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. I think it was early in the Goodsmiths uh, life cycle that that we met. Yeah. And yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah so. James Eliasson was your partner in that, correct? Mm. And so t- the problem you were working on, again, tell me because I think I remember but I, I'll sure. get it wrong. So. <laughs> sure. In your own words, yeah. what was Goodsmith solving?
1: Sure. So Goodsmiths was a online marketplace for handmade goods. I okay. think that is the tagline to a T. Uh, it's been a number of years since, since we've uh, done anything with that. But it was uh, a marketplace for people to sell the goods that they create. So if you've heard of Etsy, that is a very similar platform. Uh, what differentiated us uh, when we launched, and the premise that we kind of were building the original platform on, uh, was the idea of group sa- uh, sales. So, what does that mean? Well, let's use an example. The, exa- the example I would always use is: let's say I make birdhouses and I sell birdhouses. Yeah. If I'm selling them one off, uh, and my cost is, or my what I sell them for is hundred dollars due to building them one at a time and painting them one at a time, etc. If I can get 10 customers together. I can go buy my wood in bulk. I can buy a larger volume in paint and save money on materials. I can create jigs for the things that I'm creating to make it more efficient Mm. because I know I'm going to be producing 10 of this particular item. So our mechanism that we built into Goodsmiths was allow these pre-sales and once the deal was met, and keep in mind this was back in the day. Sounds like Kickstarter. Well it it was prior to Kickstarter. Yeah that sounds like a bridge of Etsy Kickstarter. Yeah, like a Groupon and all those different deal yeah. sites that were out there at the time. This was at kind of the height of that when we when okay. we formed this. So that's what we built. Uh, we built that, and you know, you, you made a comment earlier about you know developers see, you know see it very easy as building new features and to sell what's in front of you. Uh, I think long term that's kind of where we where we struggled. So with GoodSmiths. It was a two audience sort of market, right? We had the buyers and we had sellers, and you need sellers in order to have buyers. Well, the sellers aren't going to come to you because there's competitors out there. If we don't have the buyers,
0: the rattling is my head shaking <laughs> up and down <got laughs> in agreement with you. Yes, right. absolutely. I right. think I have to go through this rendition about a week, every week or two with somebody about two sided markets.
1: They're extremely difficult, oh. and and we had a good run at it. I mean, we ran Goodsmiths for. For three years, we built the team to ten people mm-hmm. at one point, full-time employees. Oh, um, I didn't they, realize
0: we had gotten that big.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was over the course of three, three and a half years. Well, you know, half of our develop or half half of our employees were developers. If wow. that kind of paints a picture, and I think that hindsight being twenty twenty, uh, looking back on it, between James and I, we would. We would brainstorm these amazing ideas, and it wasn't just James; Light. it was our whole team. We'd come up with these ideas of, you know, new features and new this, new that. And then, as we got a little later in life, it was new revenue streams. So at one point, I think we had five or six different ways that we could generate revenue in the platform. Oh. Um, so it became very muddy. I guess. Hard to get
0: your focus when you had that was. much going on.
1: It was, yeah. and uh, when we when we did decide to shut things down, I really think it came down to. You know, marketing, and, and we, we lacked focus. If we had had more focus early on and sold what was in front of us versus spending thousands of dollars building new features and, and not promoting them as well. Well to those who
0: are listening that's probably some of the most timeless dev- advice you can ever take going into a startup is the idea of a minimum viable product and sticking with it and and using sales to drive the business versus right. and there's nothing wrong with raising money. I help people do it all the time but you know, I think of some of the bootstrapped companies here in town and I think how successful some have been because they had to drive sales. They had right. a choice. And I think that's one of the things about a bootstrapped company right. is you get up in the morning, you know exactly what you have to do. You have to go sell something. You got you to eat tonight. Right. Uh,
1: and I think you see that with the different startups that are in town here and, and out, outside of the, the central Iowa, Iowa market. Um, the ones that are showing... Growth or, or even sustaining have put focus on the sa- on sales and marketing early. early yeah, you guys share
0: system. offices with Pitchley, don't you? Correct. And there's a there's a good example. of Somebody who just started example. selling, right. and and it turns out he is Brian Ryan is very good at selling. Right. And built a hell of a team, but you know there's no proof of market adoption. Like, well, I sold it. Right. I mean, I listen to angel pitches all the time as an angel investor and. You know, I'm, I'm looking for evidence of market adoption. And they're like, what do you mean? i like, how many have you sold? And it's a question you have to be able to answer. Right. Um, and so I, I think those that do come out so much better off. Other lessons you took away from Goodsmiths? Other things you would look back now and say that oh, are influencing a, how you're doing things today?
1: Sure. I, I really think, you know, I'm not in a startup world now. So we right. can, you know, we can talk more about that in a little bit. But we interact with startups on a regular basis. You know, it's not 100 percent of our business, you know, currently, right. but we still do. Developers always get people coming to us. You know, I've got this idea. Absolutely, know, the, the biggest stereotype. I've got the next Facebook. You know, that's that's just not a thing. You don't know how to build a billion dollar company because you have a day job. <laughs> and the last as thing as this mid- world
0: needs is or, another Facebook. <laughs> right. like, let's be honest. But <laughs> to
1: some of the things that you're saying and and you know, defining an MVP, sticking to that. Not approaching projects with the or you know, helping our clients understand that just because you build it, they will not come. I think the second time i have said that now, you really need to focus on that MVP. What is that minimum product, and get out there, get out there, sell it. Stop building and sell what's in front of
0: you. I always tell people that that in my experience with building, especially vertical market solutions, things that are to a very targeted audience you should go into it assuming the first thing you build is going to get thrown away and done, redone Mm -hmm. that you really have to go through it. And your plan needs to be code what you need to code for the first to get through the first two years and get to success. And then while you keep making money off that in the background, build the real one, build the one that's going to take you to the next five to seven years, because you're going to make a ton of pivots. You're going to change things. You're going to hack it together. And you should be hacking it together. Right. You shouldn't be building the most elegant code in the world when you don't even know if anybody's going to buy it or not. Right. Once you know what's going to work, then you can fine-tune and, and speed up and make more effective the
1: processes. Target another vertical, you know, whatever exactly. but is necessary. Yeah,
0: it's just, then you're, that's when you go, okay, now that I've, as a programmer myself, now that I've built it, now right. I know what I want to, how to build it right. right. The second time, I can build it much better than the first right.
1: time. It's usually less expensive as well. You it know, is. You've learned a lot in that yeah. first iteration. Which it's, is one
0: of the reasons. And it's not a plug for your company, although I would plug it. Um, I do know a lot about your work. But you want to work with someone. It's no different than the law. Um, don't go to an attorney who's never done that practice of law before because you have to pay them to learn. Go to someone who's done this before. And if you're someone who builds products for a living versus informational websites, it's a different kind of programming. You took a break, or, or sort of a break from the world of code sure. in 2013, and got into the renovation business, renovating houses.
1: Home renovations, yep. Yeah.
0: What did? You, what kind of renovations did you do, and yeah. why renovations? It's sure. Quite a, it's so, quite a change in path.
1: Yeah, well, it, it was never a deviation from like code. I've always been involved with something. Really, I, I think the way I liked to. Uh, to look at it, and so it's not something I do currently. Um, So 2013-ish, I, as kind of a hobby, decided to purchase a house and renovate it, and and basically did, I went into it, and I I learned a lot from other people here in town, and and had a really great mentor that was able to point me in the right direction, connect me with the right people, help me not be an idiot and blow my money, and you know, or the the bank's money, we should Mm -hmm, be clear mm -hmm, on that. mm but anyways, yeah, so it was more of a hobby, you know, so I bought this house, did this work, took me a few months to do it, I'm finishing floors, I'm watching YouTube videos on laying tile, you sure. know, the things that I, I didn't know how to do or hadn't done, and, and was self-taught and, and was really pleased with the final product. Nice. Um, and that then kind of snowballed into a renovation company. Um, a good friend of mine, we, we got started... He was in a seasonal business at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was helping me with this house. We decided, hey, let's do this. I'll be the deal guy. I'll be the one that that can bring in uh, sales and and find these houses and whatnot. You can do the work. And did that for a while. Market changed, bottom line. We were in kind of the end of the, you know, from the the 2008 housing uh, balloon pop sort of thing. You're still on the upside of the recession. We were able to pick up foreclosures and, mm-hmm. and, you know, houses that were a good fit for this business model um, you know, for a, a year or two. And then it just started to dry up. There started to be a lot more, you know, marketing of infomercial type marketing of getting people in and, you know, buy a house with somebody else's money and, and that sort of thing. And it just, it dried up the market pretty quickly right. in, in this town. So, yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I enjoyed doing things that are not in front of a keyboard. I think it's the way to yeah, say so it, low. you know, it, it's a, uh, it was a, a lot of fun and a lot of learning. I met a whole new industry of people and, and have an appreciation for that. You know, um, for that whole. Now, wasn't Matthew Smith doing some yep. of the same stuff? He what was. was he the, well, he's the mentor that I was referring to. I was to. wondering he, if that's who it was. He, <laughs> he, at the time was doing the Tuck Tuck Goose race. I if you recall that. That, <laughs> and that was fun. I. Volunteered my time and and a vehicle to help him drive around central Iowa to 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 load these up and to bring these things home in exchange for having him captured in the car for two or three hours and could pick his brain. Sure. Um, so that is that's,
0: now that's a that's a good way to get a mentor. To say it, it really, really was two sided like I, mentor. I, right?
1: I knew and we had had some software conversations and whatnot prior to that, so I knew sure. kind of his background and he he and, and his. Business partners had been doing it for years, and right. and uh, he was, you know, instrumental in 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 uh, the the handful that I did. And say
0: so he knew a lot about that from what I could figure out, and I don't know a ton. I did one of on my own when I was a young man. I bought a house in 1988 that was had too much owner abuse. Sure, <laughs> the owner did everything themselves, and sure. it was all pretty bad. Sure, um, and remodeled it. And I learned a lot, and right. learned I'd never want to do another one because it was just a lot right. of work.
1: I would love to do another one. If, if we find ourselves in a situation where the market is favorable for doing it, I wouldn't do it in a start a company sort of way. I would do it more in a managerial or or, or investment sort of uh, you know uh, standpoint. But um, yeah, there's there's opportunity out there when oh, the market sure. is in the right spot. Sure.
0: So so, what led you to start We re- Write Code? By the way, I love the name. I'm a believer in names that make sense. Sure, and and I just the first time I heard this, I just started. I got a smile, started laughing. I thought it's right. the perfect name because, and I won't say anybody else's names, but there's some of these really long, <laughs> multi-worded names. It's like, sure, I look at some of these, and go, I wonder what they do for a living. Right, and it's just like, so thank you for the name. Right, and, it's
1: interesting you say that because we've. So we write code. We actually in two weeks will be four years old. So we've been around yeah. for for a bit now. And, Congratulations! You know, with that comes various challenges and and ups and downs. And one of the conversations we're having is potentially you know some some branding. Is we mm. write code too specific? Is it too specific for what we do? And does that you know? So it's interesting to get your feedback, your perspective on on. A, well, my, on my, a, my
0: flippant, off the cuff answers don't touch it. Right. Everybody knows you. I. I, I
1: uh, <laughs> There you, is a big argument for that, yeah. is maybe the way to say that. Don't he's, screw he's with your brand. brand
0: around it. You know, the other the saying in the branding world is once everybody hates the brand inside the company, that's when you never touch it again. Right. Because that means everybody knows it. Sure.
1: Makes sense. So to answer your question, how we kind of got started with it. So after we closed down Goodsmiths, I took some time off to, to put some uh, effort towards this renovation piece. Sure. And I went and worked at a, a contract uh, gig here in town, You know, found an employer and worked with them to kind of... Recharge the mental batteries, the bank account, the you know mm-hmm. the whole shebang, and and kind of get things uh, settled in. But I already knew what I wanted to do. Um, I had worked prior to these startups. I had worked at a marketing company here in town and had a an opportunity to to realize that I liked working with customers on you know new customers on a regular basis and solving problems. Um, to approach them with. You're not your normal, you know, marketing company sort of eye or, or enterprise level sort of eye. Um, so I knew that's what I wanted to do. And after a f- chain of events was kind of given the opportunity to do so and found myself at Gravitate as myself and was kind of starting to put things together and, and landing clients. So that was, the, that was the idea of getting started. I don't know how much of the history you want to dig into. Well, and kinda, do you
0: have a partner or did you do it on your own?
1: initially was on my own so for about the first year uh was was myself um and then we we uh I started hiring some people uh, after that first year. We landed, a, or I landed, a couple uh, significant projects that justified doing so.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and uh, there are two other partners in the business at this point. Great. Uh, and they, they play a very critical role in uh, keeping things going. We, yeah. We do happen to be all developers, the, the partners. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've been able to designate various roles in the business. Um,
0: and that's a good idea. It is. To, to know who has what role and stay out of each other's way together, exactly. or at least acquiesce together. It's like look you have the lead in this, I have the lead in this. It doesn't mean everybody's opinion doesn't count but mm-hmm. at some point you, know, you get to that point where you go okay time to take a decision and move. Right. Somebody's got to make a decision right? and somebody's got to go move.
1: Well and we're at almost ten full-time employees at this point and wow. you know, we're, we're to a point where you know, we have our first salesperson. Oh. I've always been the person to talk with clients. I've been the uh, you know the the referrals that come in. we've never actively pursued uh on the sales side of things, so now having this role in the business um, has helped to solidify my role. I need to work with this person and right. help them to understand our world and how we approach projects and how we how we land these these uh engagements um, so having the two other partners in the business to run with the other pieces the other aspects right. is, is huge
0: and business development in that world is very challenging because. A lot of times the customer wants to talk to the programmer. Right. They want to talk to somebody that's a developer. Yep. And if you're not a developer as the salesperson, that can be kinda of hard.
1: It is. So. It is. And and that's I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean that's that's part of the reason why we've we've had the success we've had over the last four years. Why we've never needed to have a outward facing marketing, you know, campaign right. or, or sales funnel. We've had sales funnels in the context of people are being introduced to us via word of mouth right. and that sort of thing. But to grow to where we want to be over the next five years, we've got to shift that focus, and we've got to start bringing others up in the knowledge that I have, but that we have, um, but still being involved in that process. You know, at this point, I have pretty much stepped away from active full-time development with our with our clients um, because of that. And well, you almost have to.
0: Somebody's going to have to do the rest of the business, even though you've got to build the product you sell. You still have to run the business and. Do the business development and do the selling and right. yeah So what makes your company different from some of the other development shops out there?
1: Oh, there's a, there's a number of things. you know um,
0: If you're in a sales call, what do you
1: say?: Yeah, so I think the, the maybe to, to rephrase that are the type of companies that we work with. So yeah. development is very vague. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when somebody says I build applications, like that can mean so many different oh, things. Yeah. Are we talking phone applications? Are we talking web? Are we Embedded. talking, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, you've got a lot of background in, in that world yeah. and, and it can mean so many things. So me to, to step back on the question, what I like to say is if a bakery came to us and needed a website, we're probably not the right company. We don't do marketing. We don't do branding. Uh, it's not that we can't. It's just not where our our skill sure. set lives. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, you know, the the we're not in the business of the hundreds of empl- uh, developers building a platform over the course of 5 years sort of right. thing. We're certainly somewhere in the middle. We do a lot of data processing, we do a lot of uh, payment processing, data manipulation, report generation. So if that bakery had uh, a need to integrate with a third party for some reason, or maybe they have 100 locations around the country and need to build a platform for communication. Sure. Those are the sorts of things that we do. So okay. uh, where we differentiate is, is I, I would say, in our ability to look at a application in a startup sort of context. So one of the other questions you had asked me previously was my LinkedIn profile is probably a little out of date, saying we, we specialize in working with startups. And that's not wrong, but that message has evolved and that's probably something I need to work on getting <laughs> to updated. Your, to your branding point. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. That's why we're you know, starting to work with other companies on the branding piece yeah, to fix yeah. those sorts of things.
0: No, you need an outsider yeah. looking in at your brand. If you're going to touch your brand, don't do it yourself. <laughs> and I will
1: say over 2019, I, you, you should expect to see quite a bit of improvement in our branding and messaging and whatnot. It's part of the reason why I'm here having this conversation sure. with you to sure. uh, increase that. But um, no. So approaching projects in that mindset and trying to, you know, whether we're working with a true startup, that is, that is an idea phase and they're still working Mm -hmm. things out and they need the introductions to people, the mentors, et cetera, or we're working with a fortune 500 company that's here in town or, or in another state. And we are augmenting their staff with a, you know, a small team of people to build an application. Um, we, we take a, Pretty. I don't want to say unique approach, but we take a realistic approach to building. Well, I like the platforms. way you
0: said it because you take a startup's approach. Right. You're going to build something quickly. You're going to figure out very quickly what's going to work or not. You're going to pivot very quickly, unlike the older ways of developing where you built this giant right. schedule and you coded for 18 months. You know before Agile became a thing and some of these other there's always a buzzword, but you'd go build something for 18 months, then get it out there and nobody liked it. And it's right. like, well, why didn't you let me see it before? and i think the going into it with a startup's mentality is the way of saying it of saying you you do your proof of concept quick you you iterate quickly you get a lot of feedback early and you change based on that a lot of companies still don't know how to do that
1: they don't i you know i i said earlier i kind of got a push to get started on on we Write code and actually start you know doing what i intended to do it was because i was on a project that had lived for five years with with dozens of developers uh, building this platform. And I was a contractor and the company decided to no longer build that platform. It had never seen the light of a customer. Never seen a customer over five years. Five ago, years. You know, nearly a hundred developers sort of deal. And, oh. and uh, yeah, that's one example. Any, developer, any developer that's worked in a large organization has more than likely been through that scenario and yeah, there's reasons for that. You know, that's No, but it's
0: still soul crushing. It is, as <laughs> Sorry, a developer. It's, I've been through a shorter version of that. Sure. Where, you know, in my day it was I, you only have one developer per project usually, but to build something and spend five, six months on it and then find out, nope, not gonna use right. it.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Five months of my life just went down the tube. Right. I'm passionate about that code.
1: Right. So. And that and it 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 is a uh, soul crushing is a is a good term to it apply is. towards it. I,
0: I think a lot of people who don't write code And they just don't understand. You do put your heart and soul into it. Most do. You you care about it. There's not just one way to do things.
1: You're proud of it. I mean, you're proud of. You you should be proud of what you're delivering. Whether it's your own startup, you've taught yourself how to how to write code, and you've built. You've put together a site that is. You know, collecting information, doing what you need, or you're working for an enterprise level organization, yeah. you're building a platform you don't care about, you, you're still proud of the code that you're My producing. first
0: big project I, I did in, my, in this, the company I went to work for out of college, I was in a mobile computing company in 1984 and I wrote the code that Anheuser-Busch used on all their delivery routes for over thousands of drivers. It wasn't the whole country, but a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're damn right I was proud of that. I mean, I got a kick out of that. Uh, that was something special.
1: My uh, my career as a developer is really because of a, uh, not a software delivery, but I was in a, involved with a team that was responsible for compensation for 20-some thousand employees across sure. the country. Telemarketing was yep. big at the time, and, and that was a company I worked for, and I... Definitely, learn that sense of pride i yep. don't know if I would have if I was in a smaller organization because I, I don't there's just something about that that you, big, magnitude of you impact. can have a big impact in a big right. company
0: You're, people don't think that, but you can right when you do work with startups what kind of unique challenges do you see the true startup
1: where where are we starting this podcast now uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know it 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 varies it varies so greatly you know from the it's all about. Really, if we were going to bring it back to one phrase or one thing to say, is setting expectations or defining expectations. You know, we will have clients that come in and want to talk with us and and just have an idea. They haven't even built the business behind it, a business model. They don't know how they're generating revenue. Right. Um, and and we we help with that. We we help with the business side of things more often than not. When we have a very young, I'll call them a startup company, whether they've launched something or not. Right. You know, we we get involved as kind of a fractional CTO, if you will, help them understand what does the technology mean for your business, right. and, and how can you? What is a, a way to generate revenue? What are, you know, different mm-hmm. aspects of the business, um, and uh, you know, to understanding the cost of development. What does it mean to hire a developer or a team of developers for months of development, or you know, even on a smaller project scale like sure. that. That's a big challenge. So there's a number of them. A lot of let's, expect- let's pick one and setting and, and, expectations. Yeah, yeah. And setting expectations of what it takes. You know, what does it in this world of being able to use the internet to find yourself a, a team of developers that are more than likely overseas and and paint this picture of being very inexpensive. And we True. just recently had a a couple conversations with a couple different clients that that uh, are in different boats where you know. They are working with developers that are overseas, and in one case they've done very well. For the dollars that they've spent, hmm. they have gotten more than our team could deliver yep. anywhere close to that. On the other side, we have seen we see organizations come in that have spent a lot of money working with developers that are overseas and, and not gotten the value out of it, so... Again, we're talking about expectations. And not just
0: overseas, because I've heard the same thing locally. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it happens locally, too. Yeah, and I think that's, I guess if I could wrap it up in the sense of if you're trying to advise somebody, it's go talk to five people who've already done a startup that started at the idea level and talk through what they learned. Right. Is there's, I really wish I could get more startups to do that. Just go listen to some other startups. Go ask them, yep. what did you learn? Because you don't want to have to learn something that's already been learned before. You don't. We do as humans have a habit of having to touch the stove, no matter how many times mom <laughs> or dad says, "Don't touch the stove; it's hot." You got to go over and touch it and burn your hand, and right. to get you to never do it again.
1: That's a, a great way to put it. We we find ourselves giving that advice very frequently. You yeah. need to go talk with other people. You need to. I mean, we have recommended to clients to to take advantage of various programs that are here in town. Um, the I'm drawing a blank to it. Um,
0: the U of I program.
1: The U of I. Yeah. Uh,
0: We'll think of it in a minute. Yeah, we will. About we'll think
1: of it here in a minute. Yeah. But using that as an example, we had yeah. a client come in that had a, an, you know, he was a very part of a, a particular industry mm-hmm. and had an idea for this platform we wanted to build and um, very directly said, you need to go and talk with other people that have built companies like this before. Like, we can tell you everything you want to do. We can help you understand it. But you need more opinions than just ours. You need to understand, understand what it takes to build a company because there's so much that goes into it.
0: One of the most common pieces of advice I give people, and I want to hear what you have to say about this too, that they don't follow, is to go out and talk to their customers early and often. To go find out what is it what's the problem they really want to solve and will they really pay for it? I think a lot of people in the startup world are scared to ask for money. And it's such a fundamental thing because you can build something great and People are like, I love it, but I'm not going to pay for it. I'd love to use it, but I'm not going to give you a dime for it. And it's just, again, heart-wrenching when those kinds of things happen. It is. What kinds of advice do you find yourself giving that people don't follow?
1: So advice to, that we've given that, that or that we give on a regular basis that that is a, a challenge to follow. I mean, we've kind of dwelled on it a bit here of talking with other companies, but to... Um, to keep it simple, I yeah. think is is the the tough one. Um, you know, you have these mock-ups, these whiteboard drawings, these you know, whatevers that you have that you have built for this this product that has, you know, five different audiences or you know just you know, something absurd, right? Um, Three boiling, products,
0: five customers. Right. Yeah. Boiling
1: that down to what can I go make money on today? I realize you have a plan that you want to build a platform that is. You know, a thousand dollars a month, or whatever it is. Uh, what is the fifty dollars a month or the hundred dollars a month plan that you can offer in three months mm-hmm. and start building a paying customer base that you can upsell in the future? That exactly. you can you can market to to grow them to to see what churn looks like with mm-hmm. with that customer base and what you can do to improve that churn or to right. reduce that that churn.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so the the
0: and there's a term a lot of people haven't even thought about. Is churn. churn
1: right, right, yeah. recurrence? In in the conversations that we have with with the startups that we do talk with, uh, I would say less than twenty percent of those companies have even thought through the idea of churn. Right. What does it mean? What does it mean to? What does it cost to land a uh, new customer? What does it cost to keep them? And how frequently do we lose them? Like going a, through that life cycle. There's a
0: very simple couple of expressions that, in the same way of saying. What is your customer acquisition cost, and what's the lifetime value? And you know you won't have it right the first time you calculate those, but how did you figure out what's it going to cost to acquire a customer? And people are like, well, I don't know. How do I do that? You know, start doing what it takes to find customers. You have to actually start experimenting, and that really sets people back. But you do, because it's a simple equation. If your lifetime value is, is 2x your average customer acquisition cost, you're never going to make it. It's 10 times you might have a business, Maybe. But there's some simple rules in there.
1: There is. So Absolutely. you said
0: you have 10, 10 employees now? Yeah, close to. Wow.
1: Close to. Yeah, so we, we were, for the first three years of, of We Write Codes Life, we were in Gravitate co-working yeah. uh, here in town. We, we went through the various moves and, and whatnot. And uh, last spring... Uh, so June is when we moved into our new space in the East Village. I think you were there for our open house. That was one
0: of the better open houses we've had in a long time. Good in Des Moines. That was fun. Everybody's like, "We need to do this again." And I'm like, "Great." <laughs> Who else wants to spend that much money? Right. Because that was not cheap. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it it, fun.
1: It, it, it was a good time, and and we kept things relatively uh, local and simple and whatnot. You did. And, you did. But we and,
0: appreciate uh, you doing it.
1: It was it was a good time, and I, I hope that we will do it again. I, I kind of forgot that our birthday was coming up here in a, in a couple of weeks, and that's. Yeah. A yeah. Too late to plan something like that, but maybe we'll do something simple yeah. uh, and just uh, have some drinks and some food. So you're always and just to go and
0: invade by. a bar, exactly. Well, <laughs> we have a
1: bar in our basement, which is fantastic. That's and, true. And you have up down. They uh, they are expanding into the first floor as well to give them more space and might better accommodate something like that. There you it's, go. it's tough having a hundred people in our office. Uh, it our, is. our office is not designed, It's not for built that. for a hundred
0: people. <laughs> How have mentors influenced your journey? You
1: know, that's a it's a. I'm a developer. I like to give black and white answers. Uh, And that's a tough one to do. Because obviously everything, to to be 20 years in this industry, to have a, you know, we write code and being four years old and having employees and clients, everything that we've accomplished at this point is not, uh, you know, because I did it on my own or my Mm -hmm. business partners and I have done it on our own. It's really important to listen to people that are out there. Like there's one piece of advice that I got before I had, before I went through any of these startups, before I went through any of building We Write Code, I mean, this is 15 years ago or so when I first got to Des Moines uh, working for that marketing agency I was talking about, a uh, coworker who I had a lot of respect for, was really kind of mentor, a mentor for me and, and uh, over the years, and we still remain in touch, made a comment that in order for a development shop to be created, you need more than just developers. You need a salesperson. You need sales, a sales team, and you need that sales team to not be the 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 whiz bang whatever of of technology. There needs to be a certain level of of naiveness. There needs to be a certain level of vision in in that side of the business to allow them to overcommit the development staff, the people that are mm-hmm. going to have to run with a platform to mm-hmm. sell an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's really kind of Something where now we're four years in, like I said, starting to build a, a sales team and whatnot, taking to heart. Let's, let's, uh, let's figure out how to continue to grow this business and, and, and not just make it developers.
0: So I assume you're now mentoring others. I try
1: to. I don't know if people listen to my advice or not. <laughs> uh, you know. What
0: qualities should
1: mentees have? The ability to listen. Uh, uh, mentees. mentees. Sorry, I was uh, yeah. answered that as mentors. It um, no. goes that way too. It's maybe a little bit of a uh, what you, I guess flippant to put answer it. to say it. Where do you
0: what do you expect from the people coming to you looking for your advice?
1: To to be open minded. Um, to to be willing to hear the advice given. The the mentorship that's that's given. Um, you know, I've been in situations where. Somebody has approached me and asked for my experience, my background, whatever it is, (laughs) and I'm more than willing to give it, especially if you're buying a beer. I I will sit down (laughs) for a beer or for a coffee. And, it's, uh, it's,
0: it's a it's a bargain. Let me it tell is. You folks. I mean, that's the contract right there. <laughs> it You're is. to buy a me a,
1: a beer or coffee or lunch or you know yep. even just you know not be a, a huge interruption to the day and come to the office sort of thing. Yeah, I'm willing to have any conversation with just about anybody. Yep. my wife says I would talk to a bush if it would talk back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, to be open minded, to be open minded to the ideas that are being discussed, and to not just be bl- you know blinded into this is what I'm going to do, and this is the right way. And it's not that the advice a mentee gets is is always going to be different than what they're expecting. There needs to be a certain level of open-mindedness, so there's no point in the conversation.
0: Yeah, you just hit the nail on the head. If you're not going to listen right. to anything that isn't already in your head, why are you asking for right. a mentor?
1: And it doesn't mean that the mentor, whether it's me or you or whoever that's providing advice, is right. No. Just needs to be a conversation, and a conversation requires both sides to be able to to have some flexibility. I think sometimes, as a
0: mentee, you may hear something the first time and go, "Wow, I just don't agree with them at all." Mm-hmm. And then three discussions later with three other mentee, mentors, you're like, "You know, that's the fourth time I've heard it." When she said that to me, I've heard that four times now. I guess I better get my head straight here and realize that I may not be right. Right. Um, yeah. So, for those who are listening today, who are looking for a mentor, and those that want to give back by being a mentor. Um, We just launched a uh, new uh, service at the partnership, and it's called Mentor Connection. And one of the things that Levi and others in town have been helping mentor people, but it's hard to find mentors. And so if you're interested, check out dsmpartnership.com slash mentorconnection. We now have a digital tool. Uh, It's actually being used throughout the state of Iowa. Go on, look for a mentor, sign up to be a mentor. If you're looking for mentees, reach out. Uh, We'd be happy to help you. And if you want to know more about that, reach out to me, Mike Callwell. You know how to get a hold of me, at dsmpartnership.com. And so with that, Levi, I want to thank you for being on Startup Stories. Sure.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, it's a good conversation.
0: It's fun. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Small Business and Startup Stories DSM Podcast. Inspired by these stories, we offer a hub full of resources needed for any small business owner to grow and succeed in Greater Des Moines, Iowa, at dsmpartnership.com slash business. Thanks for listening.